Hi, everyone. I hope you're doing well this morning. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm really glad that you're here uh, with us this morning here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. We are taking a journey through selected psalms this summer as uh, we're in this series uh, that we've entitled Selah, or uh, the exact pronunciation is is, uh, uh, Selah, Uh, but uh, we are looking at uh, the psalms from the perspective of that word that is mentioned 71 times throughout the book of Psalms, and it means uh, to pause and calmly consider. And uh, summertime is a good time to pause, right? I don't know if calm is the exact word that we think of when we think of summer, but uh, certainly the idea of taking a break. And so we wanted to pause and calmly consider uh, many of the uh, different Psalms, and so we've been bouncing around, and today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm chapter 118, we'll be there today. And uh, we'll be in Psalm chapter 118. If you don't have your Bibles, the words will be on the screen so you guys can follow along there. On Tuesday, uh, we celebrate our, our nation's independence, right? It's our, it's our nation's birthday. It's the United States of America. Yeah, absolutely. You can give it up. We celebrate uh, our, our birthday, we celebrate our Independence Day, and, and uh, you know, I know that uh, some of you are here today because you're on vacation and you thought it would be a great idea to come to the beach for July 4th. And it was a great idea in January and February, and last night at 5 p.m. when you were stuck in traffic, you were second-guessing the decision. Um, but I want to say on behalf of all Hilton Head Islanders, um, we're glad you're here, and we're glad that you've decided, there you go, yeah, absolutely. Even if you're from Ohio. There we go. All right. Got that little jab in, as always. Uh, but we, uh, we celebrate our uh, Independence Day uh, coming up on Tuesday. Uh, but you know what's interesting is, is uh, July 4th almost didn't happen. It was almost uh, our Independence Day. Almost was. A lot of you know this story. It was almost today. Uh, we almost became really close to having our Independence Day be uh, the 2nd of July. So um, here's how this went, generally, in general terms, is, is that the Declaration of Independence um, was actually approved um, in Congress on July the 2nd, 1776. It was in a closed session of Congress, and July 2nd was actually the day that the Declaration of Independence was voted on by our Congress. But the document shows July the 4th which probably had something to do with the fact that in that day and age, the signers all had to be there, and it was difficult for them to kind of come in and come out, and, and probably it was all signed two days later on July 4th. So um, I think I can probably say happy July 2nd to you today, all right? So we can shoot off the fireworks, have fun, do what you were going to do. Two days from now, you can do it today, all right? I'm giving you full permission to do that. Not the fireworks. I think that may be illegal, but anyway, whole nother story. But uh, our country was begun um, 100 and, if I'm, or 241 years ago. And you know, if you really think about the United States of America, we are a country whose roots go back to a godly people looking for a place where they can be God worshipers. Because where they were, they didn't have 
the full freedom of worship. And it's really astonishing, even though we may talk about some of the negative things sometimes, about maybe some of the lack of freedoms that we sense as, as God-fearing people in our country. And yes, some of the values are beginning to um, kind of be eroded for sure in, in America, really in our Western culture, but really all around the world. Um, but it really is astonishing to think about the fact that this country and the, the freedom that we have to be here today, assemble in a place with full freedom to worship the way that we're commanded to worship in God's word and worship the way that we desire to worship. It's really astounding that it has lasted as long as it has. It really is. No other democracy has lasted more than about 200 years. So we're in plus territory, y'all. All right, that's another southern term, Cynthia. Um, anyway, so we are in plus territory, and God does have his hand on the United States of America. And a sermon for another time is the values that are beginning to be eroded, and I believe that we need to be careful because his hand may be taken away. But our, our roots go back to a people who had a strong desire to create a nation that was rooted in God that was rooted in the Bible. In fact, the, the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence reads, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And here's how it ends. A lot of us memorize that in about fifth grade, that portion of the Declaration of Independence. But here's how it ends. Here's how the Declaration of Independence ends. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge for each other our lives, our fortune, and our sacred honor. And so we as a country, we're, we really began with a group of people that, um, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm proud to call myself an American because of the sacrifice of those who began this great country of ours. They sacrificed in so many ways. They sacrificed their fortune, as it, as it said there. They sacrificed in many ways their, their own personal freedom. Uh, they sacrificed in, in countless, countless, countless numbers with their lives. If you go back and begin to study some of those founding fathers, not too many of them lived past the age of about 50 years old. And as a 44-year-old, I think about that a lot these days. <laughs> they really um, did something that was unique and amazing. Um, we, we see this idea that this country was a country that was rooted in, in God. Every time we pull out our wallets or, or purses and, and we, we have a dollar bill and we, we pay for something with a dollar bill because on that dollar bill um, is a, a phrase, and you can say it with me, it's our national motto, in God we trust. In God we trust. It's interesting how that came to be. It was, uh, had begun as e pluribus, uh, pluribus unum, out of many, one. And that was kind of our uh, unofficial uh, motto as a country until the Civil War happened. And during the Civil War, the leaders of this country and, and many of the people began to appeal to their leaders to ask them, because of the um, horrific evil that they saw coming out of the Civil War, that they asked their leaders to appeal to the Creator once again. 
And so during that period of time, during the Civil War, um, we as a country began to put that motto unofficially on our currency. We began to print currency and coins with that motto. Even uh, many precious metals were stamped with, in God we trust. And so we see this around us, even though the values may be being eroded, we see this idea that our nation was really begun with a group of people that would have screamed to us in 2017, put your trust in God alone. And in the middle of this past century, in the 1950s, we kind of made that official we, we, in 1956, I believe, uh, President Eisenhower signed the law that made In God We Trust the official motto of the United States of America. And that was done largely to combat the idea and the, the kind of atheistic views of communism. It was a little bit of something to kind of you know, make, a, make a move towards that or make a move to, to really clearly define the values between the West and, and communism. And so um, we, we see this. The, the problem is, is that um, over time, we have slowly begun to allow ourselves to be a nation whose motto has been from its birth to where we are today, where we've gone from in God we trust to a place where we begin to trust not in God, but we begin to trust in the leaders and the political ideals and the governments that are put in place. In this room, there are probably about two 250 people, something like that, 200 people. Um, there are probably 250 different opinions on political ideas. And there may be some similar values along the way. But it goes to show you how intensely different we can become. And so our nation today, we kind of wake up on, uh, on any given day in 2017 and we're deeply divided. Um, and, and one of the things that we're divided on or one of the things that we've lost or perhaps forgotten is this great motto of our great country and God we trust. We begin to trust those leaders. We begin to trust the political systems. We begin to trust the governments that are put in place. And as we often do with worshiping and uh, the, the creation rather than the creator, we begin to trust the governments that this great God put into place rather than God himself. And I believe many of the founders of this great country would be sadly disappointed that even many of us who call ourselves Christ followers, who call ourselves God-fearing, God-trusting, God-worshiping people, often move from this place of trusting God to trusting the leader or the political system that was put in place. And so in many ways, we've moved from a group of people who are God-worshippers first and only to a group of people who are nation worshipers or government worshipers or party worshipers or leader worshipers. And we see it in a thousand subtle ways. We see it in the small things, in the fear that we may have about the future. We see it in how um, incredibly intense we get about certain things and how, how much worry we might have about what might or might not happen. When we do that, we are not placing our trust in God and God alone. We really are saying 
that we believe that someone other than God can solve this problem. And I'm a big believer in divine providence, and I'm a big believer in the fact that God is in charge. I'll talk about that in a moment, that he is sovereign and that he uses the hands of men and women to do his will and do his way. But i got to tell you, when we move towards that, we are on a slippery slope of not trusting God in any area of our lives. See, who or what we trust in is really who we end up worshiping, isn't it? Who or what we trust in is really who we end up worshiping at the end of the day. And Psalm 118 was written during a period of time or about a certain period of time in the nation, in the uh, Jewish nation, where, where they needed to, to hear and be encouraged that it was God who they needed to trust in. It was God who they had trusted in the past. It was God alone who they needed to trust in for the future. And in the midst of a crisis, they're reminded, and I think we're reminded today, in the midst of our crisis, not just in our nation, but in our lives, we're reminded that our trust needs to be in God and God alone. That should be the foundation of everything that we trust in. And so Psalm 118 was written in that regard. Psalm 18 is, 118 is an interesting psalm. Um, it is, uh, in, there are two different schools of thought here, and this comes from one version of the Bible called the King James, which was the first version that was written in the English language. And, and a lot of us, um, you know, if we were in church uh, back, you know, during my day and many of your day, we learned from the King James and throughout um, time, you know, there's been different vernacular uh, put on the Bible. And I'm not a, I'm not, um, you know, going to deride those things, okay, at all. I'm, I'm a big believer in the uh, English Standard Version, and I love the, the old NIV version. It doesn't really matter. But um, in, in, uh, many people believe that Psalm 118 um, is, if you do the count of all the different chapters in the Bible, that Psalm 118 is actually the middle of the Bible, it's perfectly situated right in the center. If you take the Bible and take it by chapters and divide it right in the middle, Psalm 118 is right there. And so if we look at Psalm 118, I think it's pretty interesting that here we are right in the middle of the year, and we're studying the middle chapter of all of Scripture. That's pretty cool, isn't it? By the way, I did not plan that. that I had a goosebump moment on Wednesday when I saw that, and I'm like, dude, that's cool. All right, that is awesome. Okay, so anyway, I literally said that, dude. Okay, so anyway, and... <laughs> Psalm 117, right before 118, is the shortest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Think about that for a moment. It's the middle chapter. It's stuck right between the shortest and the longest. My pastor, when we were in New York City about 12 years ago, um, he and I would meet together for accountability, and he said, hey, let's, uh, I want to memorize a chapter in the Bible. And uh, he says, man, I, I want to I memorize, um, I want us to memorize together Psalm 19, which we're going to study in a few weeks. And um, I kind of went from that meeting, and my ADD kicked in, and my, mem my bad memory kicked in, and I, I went home, and I started reading Psalm 119. I was like, what is he thinking? This is the longest chapter I've ever read in the Bible. Anyway, he was talking about Psalm 19, not 119. Anyway, all right, so, um, <laughs> so, Psalm 118 was also the favorite psalm of Martin Luther, and he said this. He wrote this. This psalm has been one special um, service to me. It has helped me out of many great troubles. 
when neither emperor nor kings nor wise men nor saints could help. Psalm 118 was there. I want us to read verses 5 through 18. We're going to focus on verses 5 through 18 in the rest of, for the rest of today. Check this out. The writer, who by the way was not, probably not David, because it was written probably after David lived. Okay, so these are, this is one of the many psalms that was not written by David. The writer says this. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me, and he set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not, what's that next word? I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. He says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord to trust than to trust in princes. By the way, the exact center of the King James Bible are those two verses right there. Isn't that incredible? If you don't think God is sovereign and in control, that's amazing. I'm not into numerology, but that's cool. All right, verse 10. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. He kind of, he repeats that, uh, that same sentiment there in verses 10 and, and 11. Verse 12, they surrounded me like bees. Have you ever been there? <laughs> they went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my Salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. And verse 18 says, The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. I think that one of the reasons that I love this passage is because, first of all, I want to tell you that it was, we don't know exactly who it was written by, um, but it was written to describe what was going on in the nation of Israel after they had been in, in exile in Babylon and they were returning to Jerusalem. So this was way after David lived, and that's why most scholars believe this probably wasn't David who wrote this, and, and, unless we're wrong about that, and it's possible that we are wrong about that. But this was a passage that was written to celebrate the victory, but also to give credit to the Lord and to describe to the people of, of God's people in that day and in our day that our trust should be in him. And they were faced, they had been facing, and you and I face many difficult times. In fact, I love this psalm because I think one, one of the things that it does, and I talk about this a lot, is that it points out that God followers or Christ followers in our context, that we are not immune to trouble. Just to point this out, how many of you, how many of you in your life have been faced at some point in time with trouble? Raise your hand. All right. Look around. You're in good company. 
I think it points out and it really addresses this idea that, that we're not faced with trouble. And one of, the, one of the great disservices that the church has done in, in our modern day has it, it's told us that like if all we have to do is believe in Jesus and our lives will be perfect and great. And that couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> if we believe in Jesus, we put our faith in God. Um, we have someone on our side that can see us through the trouble. But it doesn't mean that we'll be immune to trouble. And in fact, you can make a case that the opposite is true because the, the moment that we come, become Christ followers, at the moment that we put our faith in Jesus, there's a spiritual war that begins. Todd Cooper talked about that a few weeks ago um, that is real. Verse 5, out of my distress, he says, I called on the Lord and the Lord answered me. And you see, when we're distressed or, and when we have those enemies that surround us, when we have that fear about a situation, about a relationship, about a financial issue, about a major conflict that some of you have to face tomorrow morning, students about a temptation that you're dealing with or a, a test that you know that you, you might be able to cheat on and you're tempted to, to do that, but yet, oh man, you know that that's not what God wants for you, obviously. Or perhaps today you're in distress because um, things at home are not going very well at all. Your family's been torn apart, and you're in distress over that. He says, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The problem is, is that our solutions as humans, our natural tendency is to kind of like put our trust in the conventional wit, wit and wisdom of, of the age, uh, proven strategies and systems, um, and elected officials and governments. That's our natural bent. And yes, those things work, and yes, they're useful, and yes, God wants us to use our brains to figure things out and our talents and skills to work through the trouble of life. But if our foundation as God believers isn't the fact that we are, are people who put our full trust in God first and foremost, then none of that that you're looking at behind me, will ever do anything to help. Because our, because our foundation for the trouble that we're facing in life is broken. In fact, I believe that when this psalmist says in verses 8 and 9, right there in the middle chapter, in the middle of, of this chapter, in those two verses, right in the middle of all of the scripture, when he says, um, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. That's exactly what he's trying to point out. Is that our tendency is to trust in them and not the God over them. You see, we tend to trust in man-made and, and well, we trust, really tend to trust in man and in man-made solutions, don't we? That's natural. That's natural for us to do. But I want you to hear something today. I think if the, the author of this psalm, Psalm 118, were, were to write it today, I think he would take a, a, a pause here, and he would say, our tendency is to trust in man, but trusting God is better. Trusting God is better. When we're faced with distress, when we're faced with trouble, when our enemies surround us like bees... Trusting God is always better.
That's not trite. That's not some kind of weak theological statement. That is strong. You know why? Because the name of God is powerful. The New Testament says the name of Jesus is powerful. So while we tend to trust in man and man-made solutions, the psalmist reminds us that trusting God is better. And my question to myself when I struggle with this, when I trust in that conventional wit and wisdom and solutions and strategies and governments and elected officials, when I do that before I trust in God, I, I want to ask myself the question, why would I trust in something that is guaranteed to eventually fail when I have something at my disposal that is guaranteed to work every single time? Even though the outcome may not be what we want, God is faithful every time, all the time. We see in Psalm 118, verse 14, he says this, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he will become my salvation. What he describes there is who God is, and we're reminded of who God is. He is strength. He is our song. He's our salvation. That's why we sing many of the songs that we sing in worship here on Sunday morning is we are giving praise for who God is. But we also see here that we can trust God not just because of who he is, but we can also trust God because of what he has done for us. In verse 5, the psalmist says, Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me. You see, our God, he answers us when we cry. You may be in here today, and um, you've called out to God, and there's been maybe like no answer. It's been a little silent. Continue to call out to God. He will answer. Keep at it. He will answer. Verse 5 indicates, I think, that he also frees us. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me, and he set me free. Oh, man, that's awesome news, isn't it? That we can have freedom because God frees us. God helps us. Verse 13, he says, I was pushed hard so that I was uh, falling, but the Lord helped me. And he also saves us in verse 13 and 14. um, In verse 14, he talks about the fact that the Lord has become my salvation. And then finally, I think he prepares us. That's the kind of the, the phrase that I came up with when it says, the Lord has disciplined me severely, but he's not put me to death. You feel disciplined severely by God today? <laughs> so did the writer of these words that were inspired by God. So does your pastor. Then many times I felt disciplined over the last week. There were a few times I was disciplined by God. And I believe that he does that to prepare us to be able to trust him in the crisis. So my hope and my prayer is is that we would be a people who would move in our mindset from this place that we see on that dollar bill, on the coins that we have. I don't know if anybody uses coins anymore except to take them to those big green machines in the grocery store and pour them out and get the tag and lose a little money in the process and have some vacation cash, right? Yeah, so. um, But I want us to be a people who move from a place where we truly believe in our nation that we have this motto and this belief of in God we trust to a group of people who say, in God I trust. 
See, we can believe this on the macro level, on this large level as a nation, but do you believe it for your life? Do I believe it for my life? Am I a person who believes? It's not just a motto, it's not just a saying, but I believe and I trust God Almighty. See, I think the problem that we have is that we wait. I know this is true for me. We wait until the crisis comes. And then we cry out to God to save us from the crisis and the mess that we're in. When we haven't trusted God in the little everyday things along the way. How do we become people who practice and who do this in God I trust? Well, I believe this psalm gives us the answer to that. This is kind of the bottom line take-home thing. This is, this is, these are the steps. This is it. This is the plan. This is the strategy that works. In verse 5, it says that he calls out to God. And when we're faced with the small, everyday things of life, those everyday moments of life, we should be people who verbally call out on God. Psalm 20 says, I don't trust in chariots. I don't trust in princes. I, I trust in the Lord, my God, in the name, he says, of the Lord, my God, an echo to this chapter. So we can first and foremost verbally call on God. Secondly, we can fight against fear. I think we see that in verse 6, this, this ravenous fight against fear. I, I think in, in verse 6, and check out verse 6 and 7 here, he says this in, in verse 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? See, I, I have this picture of our founders of this great country that we'll celebrate in two days or today because this is maybe really our Independence Day, whatever you choose. But, like, I have this view that these founders, these men and women who sacrificed so much, I believe that they w woke up every day, and I believe they asked that question. What can man do to me? Because I trust in God. I want to be that kind of person who calls on God, who, who fights against fear, who, who, who um, you know, verbally calls out on the name of God for help. Thirdly, that we're a people who revel in victory. Look at verse 7, that very next verse. He says, the Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. I mean, like, I, I don't think he's talking about gloating here, but pretty, pretty close. <laughs> because we're not the ones that, that should be cheering for ourselves for the victory. When we have victory over our enemies, whatever that enemy is, we can triumph and we can celebrate because it's God who is victorious. Am I right? It's, it's him. It's he who gets the victory. And so we can triumph in victory. We can celebrate and revel in victory. Claim the name of God, verses 10 through 12. We kind of already talked about that. And then finally, give credit to the Lord. You know, I'm, I'm a patriot through and through. Not a New England patriot. I am the furthest thing from a New England patriot that you can possibly be, all right? Because I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan. Yes, we'll be there again for many years to come. Look out, Tom Brady. Anyway. 
But I like to think of myself as a patriot, one who celebrates our country and celebrates our history. I love history. I love revolutionary history. It's just fascinating to me. The history of our country is amazing. If you look for the God moments, you can see them throughout our nation's history. You really can. But I'm also one who recognizes that I can very easily put my trust in a political system, in a man or a woman who's become an elected official, or in a government that will take care of me at a moment's notice. And I want to be a person who first and foremost trusts in the name of the Lord our God. I met a friend years ago, and uh, this is back in New York, and um, we were starting our church, and my pastor and I were on a subway, and we sat down next to this guy, and um, he heard us talking, and he kind of butted in our conversation. Have you ever had that experience? Like, dude, you just totally got in on our conversation here, so that means you were eavesdropping, but cool, that's fine, because it ended up that this guy ended up coming to our church, and we, we had this great conversation on the subway, and um, we asked him, what do you, what do you believe in? What's your, like, what's your belief? And he says, I, my trust, my religion, he said this, my religion is, and he mentioned a political party. And it wasn't one of the two big political parties. He said, that's my religion. That's what I believe in. That's what I trust in. And I don't think too many of us here in this room would say that. We wouldn't go to that extreme. But our attitude and our heart and our actions, really, if you start peeling back the layers probably indicates something quite different, that maybe we do trust in something other than the Lord God Almighty. My prayer and my hope is, is that we would really seriously consider where our foundational trust lies. Does it, does it lie in God, the creator, or does it lie in some system that men or man has made up, or perhaps it lies in someone I pray that we would move away from that and truly rediscover our trust in the Lord. God, would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this word. Thank you for the encouragement and the challenge that's contained in Psalm 118. And God, right now, I I just want to pray for those who are here and they're already God followers they're Jesus followers, they're Christ followers, they've put their faith and their trust in you for salvation, Um, but in an area of their lives, um, over time, just slowly, maybe even unrecognized by them, they've begun to put their trust for little everyday incidents and large-scale trouble in something or someone else other than you. God, I admit that I've been at that place before. And God, we confess that right now. And God, I pray that you would help each one of us to get back to that place where we put our trust in you. That we don't fear the situation that we have to face tomorrow morning because we know that you are trustworthy. That we're not fearful for our lives because of the enemies that are surrounding us. Because we trust in you, the one who's proven himself to be faithful over and over and over again. 
God, help us in those little moments of life where we have an opportunity to go down a bad road, the thing that we always go to when we're faced with difficulty. God, I pray in my life, in the lives of the Christ followers in here, that even in those little moments, that we would practice trusting you in the crisis by trusting you in the moment. God, I pray for those who happen to stumble in here today, came with a friend or a family member, um, and they've never put their trust in you for salvation. God, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus, that you would speak to the hearts of men and women and um, students in this room who may have never put their faith in you for eternity. God's word tells us that that's the most important place that we can find our trust is for salvation. That God loves you enough that he sent Jesus to die on the cross. <laughs> and that if you put your faith in him, if you put your trust in him for eternity, that what you receive is eternal life in heaven with God, that your sins are forgiven, and that you can spend eternity in heaven with God. That's the most foundational place of in God, I trust, that exists. And if you're here today and you've never moved from that place of unbelief to belief, and God is, like, calling you out right now, um, something that was said or sung or just the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now, I want to invite you to say yes to him and to, to put your faith in him for eternity. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, I'm going to pray a, a real short prayer. And you can pray something like it in the best way you know how in your own words, just to God, just quietly, silently, um, as everybody's praying and every head's bowed and every eye's closed. Here's the prayer. God, thanks so much that I can put my trust in you. And right now, I admit that I have never done that. And I admit that I have sin that keeps me from you. And right now, God, I accept you, Jesus, your son, Jesus, as my personal Savior. I place my trust for eternity in your hands. If you're here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer along with me, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand so I can pray for you silently. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise you that. I hate being embarrassed. But if you prayed that prayer along with me, just raise your hand for a moment so I can pray for you. Anyone in here today? Anyone in here? Thank you. Anyone else in here today? God, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have, the great gift of eternity that you've given us, and the opportunity that we have to trust you, to go before us, to look out for us, to defend us, to bring us from a place of fear to a place of safety. Thank you, God, so much for being our great, great God and our great defender. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.